We begin with the gospel lesson from the book of John. And this is Jesus speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And the second reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear much fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Martina. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you more for your promises that are trustworthy and true, that when we gather in your name, you are in the midst of us. When your word goes forth, it goes forth with your power, with your intention, and with your grace. It goes out for our good, and so we pray that that would be true for us this morning, that in your word you would give us Jesus, that you would give us all that we need. We pray it in his name. Amen. I don't know if you ever wonder what pastors do to hear the word preached. Uh, I'll tell you what we don't do often, is sit Monday morning and replay our own sermons and hope to be fed through them. Some people may do that. I don't do that too often, uh, but we do love to hear the word preached as well. And so 
Last week, I listened to a good friend of mine, Vito Iodo, who's a pastor in Brooklyn, preach an Advent sermon, and he had an awesome introduction. And then my other friend from Brooklyn, Matt Brown, shows up, and so now I can't steal that awesome introduction and pretend it's mine for you this morning. So I'm just going to tell you this. Vito talked about, he actually sang the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. You know the Christmas song, most wonderful time of the year. And we want it to be so, right? Particularly those of us who are followers of Jesus, who know the story of the scriptures that culminate in the birth and then the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that it's supposed to be the most wonder-filled time of the year when we reflect on Jesus coming. And yet, so often, as much as we want it to be so, it feels like the most frustrating time of the year, in part because we want it to be wonderful, and yet here we are just one week into the Advent season, and already we're feeling the frustration of not being able to give ourselves fully to the wonder, that awe and amazement, that sense of just sheer astoundedness, if that's even a word, at who Jesus is and what he has come to do for us. We know that it's supposed to be a time of joy, and yet for many of us, grief is lurking just around the corner, or maybe it's front and center present, because this is the time of the year when you mark occasions, and some of us are marking occasions without loved ones that we're missing dearly. We're feeling the lack of that joy. We know that it's supposed to be a time when we experience the full peace that comes with Jesus. And yet we're harried and we're hurried and we're stretched thin and we feel stressed already about our inability to get everywhere that we need to go and the parties and the activities. We know that we're going to be spending Christmas with family and we know that our relationship should be characterized by a deep and abiding peace, and yet there's somebody that will be there that's going to be a challenge and a struggle, and we're anxious about what that will be like. We know that it's to be a time of meaning, a season in which we're reflecting on Jesus deeply, and yet maybe you're like me, and you've had great intentions about leading your family in some Advent devotionals, are using that Advent wreath that you made with your roommates and you're a weekend and you're already behind. It's a season that you want to be wonder-filled, wonderful, and yet so often it's just not. Even, even the things that we do to try and drum up the wonder can sometimes fall flat already. We at our house decorated uh, the front yard with some lights and my stepfather-in-law came in and made the lights even better. And then our neighbor set up his lights next door, and they were fantastic. And I was like, yes, this, this is going to drum up some wonder in me. And not two days later, I'm grumbling about the reality that I've got to get out of bed and go outside and turn the lights off that I forgot to do again. And the wonder is gone, and we're not even in week two. We're just starting. Friends, the good news of the gospel of Advent is that God arrived into these frustrations with his fullness in the person of Jesus. He didn't arrive into our perfect ability to appreciate everything that he's done. He didn't arrive into our wonder-filled fullness. He arrived into our frustrating lack. 
so that we might again wonder at his fullness. We're going to spend just a few more weeks this Advent season in the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah was one of God's Old Testament prophets who was pointing forward to the day that is fulfilled in Jesus. And Isaiah invites us to lift up our eyes and to look for God's wonder. And then he instructs us on where we might find it. This morning in Isaiah chapter 11, I think we can find that in two ways. First, we're invited to wonder at the fullness of our longings. That's verses 6 through 11. We're invited to wonder at the fullness and the richness of our longings. And then secondly, we're invited to wonder at the fulfillment of those longings in Jesus. We're invited to wonder at the fullness of our longings and even more so at their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Kids, Matt asked you what you got for Christmas last year. Have you thought, have you had somebody ask you yet, what do you want for Christmas this year? I bet you have, right? Somebody's asked you, what do you want for Christmas this year? And here's the truth that Isaiah points us to. Whatever it is, kids, whatever it is that you want, it's not big enough. It's not big enough. Because Isaiah says, our longings are far deeper and far bigger than we can possibly even grasp ourselves. Adults, have you considered that question this morning? What do you want for Christmas? And not just the sense of what do you want a family member to give you socks or boxer briefs, right? But what do you want? What's your deep longing that resides inside? that drives your thoughts and your imagination that maybe keeps you up at 3 a.m. in the morning? What do you want? What is your desire? What is your longing? Isaiah says the same thing to you. I'll bet it's not big enough. I'll bet, Isaiah says, you're settling for something less than in your longing. Something that you've resigned yourself to, it's good enough. Something that you're able to say, it's fine. It's fine. Right? The big longings, the big longings that we have, the deepest longings that we have, when we consider our lives, when we consider our relationships, when we consider the world in which we live, when we consider the state of our relationship with God Himself, those kinds of big questions, when we look at the gap between the reality that we're experiencing right now and what we know deep inside ought to be, right, the kingdom of peace that Isaiah paints in verses 6 through 11, when we consider those longings, we realize we're settling so often for something less, something less than. This is the case for Israel in Isaiah's day. These are God's people, and if you remember, as we've been teaching and studying our way through the book of Deuteronomy, God had huge aspirations for His people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to place all my goodness upon you so that you can then be a blessing to the nations. You can participate in my redemption plan for the world. I have big plans for you. And by this point in Israel's history, they've resigned themselves to less than longings. They're being threatened by the nation 
of Assyria. And so if you ask Israel, what do you want for Christmas this year? Of course, that's redactive. Christmas wasn't around then. But if you ask them, what do you want this particular season? They would have said, you know what? We want just a little relief from Assyria. And if we can get them that relief by making a little bit of a deal with another nation, and yeah, maybe we'll have to have a little bit of service to them, but whatever, it's the best we can do. We'll take it. We'll take just a little peace, just a little relief from the big bad Assyrians. And Isaiah says, that's not big enough. That's not nearly grand enough. A longing for what God has for you. That is not a wonder-filled longing. And maybe you can relate to Israel. You feel like you're settling. Your longings have gotten shallow. You'll take whatever life can give you. And I wonder why that is. Reflected on that question for me, and I've come up with a couple of thoughts. The first is, I think maybe for me, for us, if you can relate, the big and the deep longings are too big to succeed. I remember when the economy was tanking, there were banks that were too big to fail. I think some of our longings are, we feel, too big to succeed. They're just too grand. They could never happen. I'm going to settle for less so I don't get disappointed. My family and I watched, uh, I think it might have been a YouTube clip, of a kid who is in the backseat of the minivan with his family. And you can see the excitement on his parents' face. And they tell their kid, he's probably six or eight years old, Hey, do you know where we're going? Do you know why all our bags are packed and are in the backseat of our minivan? Like, no, why? Well, because we're going to Disneyland. And his face freezes. And then he just bursts into tears. Deep, true sobbing. The kid is just heaving, sobbing. And his parents are so confused. They're like, honey, what, what's wrong? Don't you want to go to Disneyland? And like he's just choking on his tears, and finally he composes himself well enough to say, I'm just so happy. I'm just so happy. And what had happened was he thought Disney World was way too big of a dream to ever think that it could happen. And so he had given up on it. And when his parents said, no, we're going to Disney World, he was completely undone. And aren't we like that sometimes? The wholeness and the fullness that we're longing for with God, with one another, with our very selves, it's just too big. And so let's settle for something less, something less wonder-inspiring. I think the other reason why we've stopped longing big is because we believe intuitively that whatever we long for, we need to be able to deliver ourselves. Can you relate to that? Whatever we long for, we need to be able to deliver for ourselves. And what we've realized as the years go by is that what we can deliver ourselves under our own steam is just not very much. And so we settle for that instead. And Isaiah comes with this vision of fulfillment. And in doing so, he says, your longings are far too small. He says the fulfillment of your longings is not too big to fail. Did you notice the tense of the verbs in this prophecy? God will 
a shoot, pardon me, will come up from the stump of Jesse. And this king will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge. He will strike the earth. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The calf and the lion will lie down together. The infant will play, right? There's the tense is a sense of future that will happen. There's a certainty that's involved. And what Isaiah is saying is that God is giving you these longings and he is going to meet them and it will happen. Not because of the circumstances of the world around you, but because of the faithfulness and the power of the one who will bring it to be, Yahweh himself. This promise isn't too big to fail, and it's not dependent on your ability to live into it. Where is Israel in this prophecy? They're a chopped down tree. They're a stump. God in this prophecy says, of course, you can't deliver on your longings. You are supposed to be part of the solution. You're part of the problem. It's not up to you to deliver on your longings. You're a stump. You can't do it. But out of that stump, I will grow my shoot. And that shoot will blossom and bear fruit. And look at what the fruit looks like. Friends, we're invited to lift up our heads and to look at the richness and the fullness of our longings. And Isaiah paints the picture for us. We long for the wolf to lie down with the lamb and the leopard to lie down with the goat. We long for the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child leading them. We long for the cow to feed with the bear their young lying down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. This is a poetic picture, friends, of the fullness of human relationships. And the Old Testament and the prophets especially, oftentimes when God wants to talk about people and talk about the nations, he talks in imagery of animals. And so when he talks about a lion lying down with a lamb. He's giving us imagery to try and stir up our imaginations to dream about what would it be like for our relationships to not be defined by predator and prey. What would our relationships be like if they weren't defined by somebody taking from somebody else? What would our relationships look like if they were reconciled? If we were living not just without conflict with one another, but in the fullness of peace and enjoyment with one another. And yet we settle for something less than, don't we? When we think about what our relationships could be, it's so easy to settle because people are hard, aren't they? And people can be dangerous. And when we give ourselves to somebody in love and vulnerability, we're opening ourselves up for them to be a wolf that can hurt us. And so we settle for just not opening ourselves up. We settle for relationships in which a marriage becomes a roommate situation. 
We settle for relationships in a church community that are the easy relationships. We connect with the people that are like us, that affirm us, rather than going after the relationships with the people that may rub us the wrong way, and yet we've been called to be a family together in Christ. We settle for being a congregation filled with people who look and talk just like we do. Rather than dreaming and praying for what might be, if our churches reflected relationships that were reconciled across the demographics of our lives, whether they be demographics and barriers of ethnicity or age or interest or what have you, Isaiah invites us to lift up our heads and to long for something more. Because God is going to fulfill it in Jesus. And he wants us to wonder at what that might be like. Isaiah paints a picture for us of longing for a fulfillment that looks like safety. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hands into the viper's nest and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. I know we're not all parents here, but those of us who are parents, is it not one of your most deeply held fears that your child will be away from you and they'll do some kind of activity that is like putting their hand in a snake's den and you can't be there to help them and to save them. It's a deepest fear of ours that somebody we love will be harmed and we won't be able to protect them. And so we just settle for a life that looks like living with fear and living with the insecurity that we'll just take the time that we have and hope for the best. And Isaiah says, no, 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 don't settle. Maybe on your own that's the best you can do, but you're not on your own. I'm giving you this shoot, and it will grow into a king who is going to bring a kingdom in which they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Wherever we might go, we're invited to dream and to long for and to wonder at and to work toward a life in which everyone is safe because that's what God has for us and we know it deep down. Isaiah paints a picture for us of a world in which the root causes of all the bitterness relationally and all the danger will be gone. Isaiah uses the language of imagery to draw our attention not just to our deepest fears but to the greatest promises of Scripture. When he talks about a child and a snake, what do you think of? Isaiah wants you to think of Genesis. He wants you to think of the garden. He wants you to think of a promise that God makes His people. That one day there will no longer be enmity between the offspring of Eve and the serpent. The one who is opposed to all of God's 
good purposes. There will one day be a day in which all the ways that we contribute to all the things that thwart our very own longings will be dealt with and taken care of when the conditions that give rise to all these challenges themselves will be gone and wiped away. And we say, well, how could that be? We could never achieve that on our own. Of course we can't. We're a stump. But God has planted his branch, and his branch has grown. And God's bringing all the fullness of our longings to be. He's begun it, he's continuing it, and he will complete it in Jesus himself. Matt mentioned this picture of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And maybe in your spiritual life, you're settling there as well. You know that because Jesus has come and because your faith is in Jesus and because you have His Spirit, if that's true for you, you know that there should be a real measure of intimacy in your relationship with God. And yet, that can be hard as well. And so you settle for the high that may come at the lessons and carol service and then the lows that come throughout the rest of the week. You settle maybe for a little glimmer of an experience that you get during Sunday worship. Or you settle for the little glimmer of intimacy that you feel in a particular moment as you're having coffee with another follower of Jesus. And yet you're too content for the rest of the time when you go about the rest of your life and your day to day and you have no thought or feeling of God at all. And Isaiah says, no. No, you were made not just to know about God, but you were made to know God. You were made to delight in God wherever you go, as deeply and as richly as waters covering the sea. I love the way that Matt put it. The more of Jesus you want, the more of Jesus you get. That's what God has for you. Do you wonder at what that might be like if God were to bring his promises in full? Friends, are you wondering at the depths and the riches of your deepest longings this Advent season? As you do, you will also begin to wonder and be amazed and be filled with awe at the way that God has fulfilled those longings in the person of Jesus. Right? Isn't it so that in the Advent season, we want to be filled with wonder at who Jesus is, particularly in these great stories of his birth. We want to be filled with wonder at the virgin birth. We want to be filled with wonder at this strange, amazing miracle that God decided that the way he was going to bring his fullness was by being born into our world and into our lives and into our history, wonder of wonders. And yet, with our familiarity and the Christmas cards and the carols that you've heard over and over and over, you settle for a less than wonder even at that. And Isaiah's prophecy, friends, is inviting us again to wonder at Jesus not only as he's born, but as he grows and lives and dies and then is reigning now as the one who brings these longings to their fulfillment. Maybe you're here this morning 
and you are wondering and you're searching for meaning and for a way that fullness could come to be. And you've heard that maybe it is this God of the Christian Bible. Maybe it is this person, Jesus, who can bring those longings. But you're asking the question, is it? Could it be? Let me invite you to ask this question. If there is a God who comes and makes good on all these longings, what kind of God would he have to be like? What kind of God would he have to be like? Well, he would have to be a God, he would have to be a deliverer who's completely new. This has got to be somebody unlike anybody we've had before. Isaiah prophesies that the shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David was the king par excellence for every Israelite king to be compared to. And Isaiah says, we don't just need another king like David. We need the true David. We need a king like you've never seen before. And friends, when you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus as he bursts on the scene, And by the way, as he bursts on the scene in John 1, he asks his disciples, what do you want? What do you long for? And then he says, watch me go. Watch me go do it. And as he does, everybody is filled with amazement. Who is this person who teaches like this? Who is this deliverer who heals like this? We would need somebody unlike anybody who has ever come before. We would need this deliverer, this fulfiller of our longings to be equipped for the task at hand. We would need somebody who's got the goods, who has what it takes to get the job done for us, right? Because we are a stump. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. He will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. As you watch Jesus And the Gospels do his thing. You see somebody who has the understanding of the way the world works and everything that every single person needs and whom he comes in contact. He knows exactly how to give them exactly what they need. He has the wisdom and the understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. Friends, does Jesus have the power to get it done? to make good on these promises of wonder? And the answer of the gospel is he does, but it's a power that looks like nothing you've ever seen before. Because you think he's going to come and shake the trees. You think he's going to come and tear down the mighty. You think he's going to come and wipe the slate clean. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he gives his power away. He exercises his power in humility and in weakness and in meekness so that all of us can be the beneficiaries. All of us can experience his fullness. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We need somebody who will come in humility and be accountable to the way that it needs to be done. And you watch Jesus go And in every moment, he only does the ministry and the work that his father has given him to do. This person would have to be equitable and fair and just. 
this salvation and this fulfillment would need to be for everyone, not just the pretty ones, not just the ones who can buy it, not just the ones who look like they deserve it, but for everyone. This would need to be a deliverer who would come not only for the weak and lowly and the oppressed, but also for the oppressors because they need it as well. And friends, everyone, everyone, everyone is equal at the foot of the cross in our need and what God has for us in Jesus. He would need to be one who can bring judgment on everything that is standing against these good purposes of God in fulfilling our longings. And Jesus comes as the judge and as the one who gives his life, willing to be judged on our behalf. Friends, as you look at this prophecy of what God has promised, and you consider that it's been fulfilled in Jesus, and in Advent we celebrate that he has come, and he has begun to make good on fulfilling these deep longings. How are we to respond? How are we to respond? What might it look like for us to cultivate this kind of wonder this Advent season in the midst of our frustrating inabilities? And I would say, at the very least, this. Start with a spirit of repentance. Start with being willing to say, I'm a stump. Start with being willing to say, I have longings that I can't meet. And I've given up on those longings because I've settled for something that I think I can do. Say you're sorry to God for that kind of arrogance so that you can turn and receive the fullness of this vision that he's given us in Jesus. And then cultivate wonder by considering the depth of these longings and by considering who Jesus is this Advent season. I didn't print it for you, but in Luke chapter 2, we're given the patron saints of longing for Advent, the shepherds and Mary. I'm going to read it for you. This is the end of the birth narrative. The shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger, and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. What the shepherds had said to them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. Three ways to cultivate your wonder this Advent season. First, like the shepherds, go tell somebody else about Jesus. And as you tell somebody else about the amazing things that he has done and who he is, you will find yourself filled with deeper and richer wonder as well. Try it. I guarantee that they will be filled with wonder, and so will you. Two, like Mary, take some time and some moments to ponder. Ponder the ways in which Jesus has brought fulfillment, not just in this grand cosmic scope, but intentionally and specifically and purposely for you. Reflect on how Jesus has stepped into your need 
and brought you his fulfillment already, right now. And then finally, go and worship and praise. Tell him how wonderful he is in worship and see if your wonder is not increased as well. Let's pray and then continue to do that good work together. Jesus, we do thank you for who you are. We take a moment now to confess that our vision has been too small, that we've settled for far too less. Give us eyes to see you for who you are, hearts that are ready to respond, not just for ourselves, but for our friends and neighbors as well. We'll give you the glory. We pray it in your name. Amen.